Well, hello everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. So let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. Today's podcast is titled Wisdom in World Religions. So this is kind of following a theme if you've been following the last couple of podcasts where we are creating space around the holiest of days for so many of the world religions and not necessarily religious traditions, but just spiritual traditions or cultural traditions around the world. There is a phrase um, from a line that was said uh, during my ordination in 2017. Truth in all world religion, wisdom in all world religion. So that's where the title of today's podcast come. That is on a canvas print in my office. My family created that for me as a gift when I was ordained. And of course, I cherish that. That's the reason it means so much to me, just so that I'm reminded of my journey through seminary, but also what a powerful and fleeting moment that was to think at the time it was so intense and then it was gone. But this teaching theme continues to stay with me. So as we continue to move through this month and prepare to receive the holy in whatever experience speaks to you, because there's so many throughout the, this year and this month specifically, we are being invited to move to a higher level of understanding for the sacredness, for the holy that is arriving in this season. So this is especially important if our religious experience has been simply through one religion. And if you don't know very much about other religious holidays or the other traditions, this is a sacred time. This is an opportunity, an invitation to go deeper, to move closer, to not fear what you don't know. There's inspiration and sacredness here. So let's talk about why this is important. So as a reminder, I was raised evangelical Christian. So I am a Christian, but I'm also an ordained interfaith and a spiritual minister. So this obviously instilled in me long ago has been this hunger to understand how God ebbs and flows. That's how you can explain someone who was raised fundamentalist ends up being interspiritual, inter, uh, interfaith minister, who also identifies now as spiritual but not religious. I've always had this desire to understand God through the lens of the human experience, through the world experience, not just through Christianity. But it took me a minute, though, to get there. Because when I was called to leave church and seek this understanding from a deeper level, I ended up at a Bible college. And that was very good for me. I, I did go deeper into the historical significance of some of our most sacred of scriptures. And what, I, what it did for me, it would affirmed my love and my connection to my Christian spiritual roots. So what it did for me, it took me back to focus on Jesus's ministry, not just what Christianity has morphed into, into this Americanized version, but especially as the what the modern church is showing up as. And when I say modern church, I'm talking about the church where 
you have um, a non-denominational experience. And a lot of times when I would tell people I'm an interfaith minister, they'd say, oh yeah, my church is non-denominational too. They are completely two totally different things. An interfaith person accepts that all paths of religion are, are valid and sacred and lean to God. A non-denominational person is just someone who says that I'm not going to attach myself to any Christian denomination. I'm just a Christian. But most often that is still attached to a certain theological, uh, theological pattern or uh, belief system that's rooted in fundamentalism. So pretty much across the board, you can find that kind of um, uh, pattern. And we'll spend more time talking about that in later episodes. We'll, We'll make a note and come back to that. But I left the Bible college to discover world religions through the, the lens of their spiritual roots through studying just world religions. So I had to go to a different college to get that because if I stayed at the Bible college, I was only going to understand a comparative sense. So what does it mean to have these world religions, how they compare to Christianity? I wanted to understand their spiritual significance and their history from a different perspective. So I have to be honest, that first semester at the new university rocked me because it was that final breaking away, that confirmation of my belief system that at that time had so many cracks in it. Those cracks weren't there because my mind was doubting that somehow I had been tainted by these experiences. Yes, I did have some cracks from some of my religious trauma, but those cracks were coming from me trying to break out of a mold that just wasn't serving my highest good. Now, I always feel like I want to stop and and pause here and say, that is not a condemnation of Christianity in its entirety or as a whole. I am sharing my story. And it's quite obvious that many people find their spirituality is held lovingly and beautifully and gently and sacredly inside organized religion, inside the Christian faith or whatever world religion that you are connected to, that isn't the case for me and the millions others who identify as the spiritual but not religious. So for me, those cracks were coming from a place where I just needed to break out of this Christian armor, if you will, or this outer existence that was just not serving my highest good. So when I was a little girl, I kept thinking that I needed to find God through the experience of the human. And I remember thinking that very vividly, like I just didn't understand how someone, and this is my six-year-old brain thinking these thoughts, where why is someone in China because, you know, China just seemed worlds away, and I guess it, it really is. But um, why someone in China was going to be condemned to this hell that I kept hearing about just because they didn't know Jesus? That made absolutely no sense to me. So the reason I'm sharing this is because that eventually led to some of what my religious trauma is. Because when I would ask those questions and I wasn't satisfied with the answers, I was told that I was either a doubting Thomas or I had a spirit of offense or I needed to come under the authority of the church or I didn't understand why 
our church didn't accept the LGBTQ humans as they are. I mean, you'll hear about welcoming and loving them, but you know, they won't baptize them. They won't accept them into membership. They certainly won't marry them. So we got to be careful about that language around how we're embracing the LGBTQ humans as well into our into our ministries and into our church and into our church life. So what was happening is no matter how much ritual, no matter how much tradition, no matter how profoundly moving the experience was, it was falling very short for me in how I wanted, how I was desiring to know God. I had some beautifully moving experiences inside my Christian walk. I had some beautiful friends and some loving guidance and some wonderful leaders, but I needed something that was going to give me a closer connection and a better understanding of the true essence of God as God existed in the world. And when we recognize that our human attempts, no matter what religion it is, no matter where you are on your spiritual path, those human attempts to understand and connect to God are always going to fall short. We can hopefully be lifted up above our own experience and start to detach from our rigidity, our thinking that only our way is the right way. And for those of us who have left, then we can also heal from some of that trauma where our doubt or our questioning was led to be us to believe that we had a lack of faith. And I hope that's there for you today, that somehow some aspect of what we're talking about here today is actually helping you with expanding your awareness and your compassion and your tolerance for how God is showing up in the world. So now I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about appropriation. Now you hear this quite often in our in our culture because we what what, what that means is we want to be careful that no matter where we are in life, we're not taking on the customs and traditions of another's heritage and owning it as our own. So that's why it's uh, very uh, white people need to be very mindful of appropriating black culture in any way. It's just not acceptable. That doesn't mean that you can't wear certain clothes or anything like that, but it's if it's done in a respectful way or if if it's being offered to us that allows us to move into a closer understanding or better understanding and respect of the black uh, culture and the and people. But it's also why there was such a severe black uh, backlash when Kim Kardashian sought to trademark the word kimono for her clothing line. And I don't know if you'll remember this. I'll try to put a link to the show notes. But what happened was in her new, uh, this was a couple years ago, um, in her new clothing line that I think was called kimono or a section of it had some kimono design inspirational apparatus in there, um, she sought to trademark the name for her clothing line that had nothing to do with the Japanese culture. Well, you can imagine the backlash on that because the kimono is as aligned to the kimono, uh, to the Japanese culture as apple pie is to America. That was so disgraceful. It's also the reason why people are discouraged from wearing Native American gear for costumes. And by the way, I just saw, as I, I, I'm reading from my notes here, and I, 
I typed Native American, but I just saw a video from a, uh, an influencer who is of Native or Indigenous background, and he has requested that we stop referring to the indigenous people of uh, America as Native American because American infers that somehow um, that name is attached to them by because of uh, their existence when in reality they were here before we were. So they have been, they are asking that we start shifting their identity to just say indigenous. And I think that's something we can honor. Some people consider that being too politically correct, but in reality, the white voice and the white dominance and the white insisting that things are going to be a certain way have smothered and suffocated the voice of the oppressed for so long that now that they have a seat at the table by those of us who honor and respect their journey and their right to be here, they absolutely have the right to say how they're going to be identified just as you and I do. So that's not, an, that's not a hard shift to make. So indigenous gear for costumes is something that we need to start avoiding. Of course, also not painting blackface and so on. We know that this is a very fine line because in some ways there's an over-commercialization of things that are related to people's culture. It doesn't matter where you go. If you travel the world, one of the most popular sites wherever you go are the, is the religi religious culture. You will end up at churches at synagogues, at temples, at mosques, at caves to see the drawings because you're fascinated with how people understood how the world worked, how the divine worked, how we all connected to each other. And the way you find that is through the religious history. So of course there's going to be an element of commercialization that goes with that because that's how they make their revenue. We know that traveling is one of the most biggest economies, so there will always be a an element of commercializing that that we where you're being invited to purchase from artists and craftspeople, hopefully not just mass produced things, where it actually benefits the culture. That's certainly one way to honor that. And I can tell you that very soon, I will be able to announce, give you some details on our own online store, where we have spent months seeking out suppliers and artisans and craftspeople people and certified fair trade federations and partners. And I want to tell you how challenging it has been. It has been very enlightening and educational because something, for instance, like just getting dream catchers that have been made by the indigenous people that that offer revenues back to those are hard to find. Most of them are mass produced in countries where you have to worry about what kind of factories that are uh, oppressing people for their production. That's not honoring a culture. So until we can prove that they are getting, we're getting them from artisans and certified fair trades, they're going to stay away from our store. That's the kind of integrity we're trying to bring to it, but it's very hard to do this. And so when you think about that in your own life and what kind of things you want to bring into your home, one of the things that you might consider is how are you honoring the culture of those items? It's so easy to over-commercialize any one of our heritages, and we want to be very careful of that. So what does all of this have to do with where we are when we're talking about world religion? Well, it's the same thing with religion. We want to be careful that we're not culturally or religiously appropriating customs and blending them into like a religious smorgasbord. Because uh, very often you'll, you'll hear people accuse like a non-denominational or a spiritual but not religious. They'll say, oh, well, that's just spiritual light. It's just because you don't want to get in and do the real work. 
Well, that's not true. I can tell you that some of the most daunting, most challenging personal work that I have ever done was when I left the church. That's when I really had to face my darkness. That's when I really had to face what was inside me. That's when I met my soul head on and said, what do we need to do? What am I being called to do? Where am I going? And I had to look at myself out of the lens of just Christianity, which was giving me a step-by-step path, and look at where I was accountable and how I was showing up in the world, what my legacy was going to be, and what was the work I was called to do. So that is not a fair representation. But what it means is that we are not free to go and just look at Judaism and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and any one of these religions and say, oh, I like this, let me do this. Oh, I like this, let me do this. Not at all. But what we can do is if we move closer to those religions and we look and we study them and we understand what they were seeking to understand in in their practices, we can then be inspired by them. Now, by no means am I an expert, but this is where you start to figure out how your rituals, how your own personal spiritual journey can be enhanced and blessed by acknowledging those on that are running congruently with you along these spiritual paths. So the, the reason we do this is so that we can educate ourselves. We can learn about this. This is where it's incredibly powerful and insightful to move into a deeper level of understanding. So this is where I would invite you, let's say that you decide that you want to learn more about Judaism. You're not doing that so that you can look at this from a comparative sense, like how does it compare to your Christian faith or whatever your your journey is. The reason we're doing that is so that we can honor other people's journeys. So what I like to say also, that I'd like to share this little piece of my um, experience when I was uh, deep into my fundamentalist faith. One semester, we did an eight-week series on all the other world religions and why they were going to hell. Not kidding. That was the name of it. And that's what we spent eight weeks doing. Not so we went into it with the notion that they were all wrong. And I remember some of the rituals and traditions that we were, even then, I can sit in the, see myself sitting in that row, looking at some of the pictures and thinking, that's so beautiful. Look at the look on her face as she's pouring the water over her body and the flower petals are being uh, dribbled on her as they're going through a purification ritual in a river somewhere on the other side of the world. I didn't really want to be there. I wanted to be in that river. I wanted to fully experience what they were understanding. Do you see the shift? Do you understand why we might be doing part of our faith walk wrong if our faith is about just proving other people are damned? Where is it in our call that we have to spend all that time and all those resources when there's so much work that we can do, the work that we're called to do, if all we did was focus our faith, our expression of faith through the words of Jesus alone, it would show up very differently. Okay, we're going to shift gears here real quickly before this becomes a three-hour podcast. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to start you by inviting you into a deeper discussion about Hanukkah. 
because this is especially important for people with Christian roots, because obviously we know our our connection to what Christians call the Old Testament, which is actually the Hebrew Bible uh, for Judaism, and then our New Testament it, it comes together to make the Christian Bible. But why this is important is because most likely you have been exposed to some kind of anti-Semitism in your Christian experience, and that's a hard thing for us to admit. But to not admit it is denying a major part of our Christian heritage that's going on right now. Yes, primarily it's in the it's in the uh, evangelical fundamentalist section, but right now if you just go Google anti-Semitism in the evangelical community, you're going to find valid sources of information that are showing what's being taught out there if it's not being taught in your own church. I will link some to the show notes for this. And it has been exacerbated by our current political climate as well here in America. Now, on the surface, you might consider that the Christians are supportive because things like moving the U.S. embassy back to Jerusalem has happened, and that's something that the Christians wanted to have happen a long time ago. And we're not going to get into a big, deep discussion here about eschatology, and that all that means is the study of the end times or the ending of things and what it means uh, for the Christian belief that Jesus will return. But a big part of that is that the capital had to be established back in Jerusalem for Jesus to return. So in their minds, that needs to happen. So it's not about being supportive of Israel or Judaism at all. It's about their dominance of it, that they're supportive of that. Now, this anti-Semitism, it goes back way far, but you can look back in the 16th century, even where the founder of Protestantism, excuse me, um, the Protestant Reformation, which began when Martin Luther in the 16th century nailed those 95 theses to the wall that basically said, hey, I don't agree with the way the Catholic Church is interpreting scripture. And we all know what happened. He was declared a heretic, but from that day on, Protestantism was born. And because of that, we now have the Protestant denominations of Christianity and the 25, 35,000 denominations worldwide. But he was a big proponent of annihilating Jews. He was one of the biggest anti-Semites that there was. So this person who is the hero of Protestantism is also the reason that there was so much anti-Semitism inside Protestantism. So some of what he wrote about urging the slain of the Jews actually ended up in Nazi propaganda in Germany. So you need to pay attention to that connection because it, it, there's that bridge is very small between the 16th century and 1930s. So what, what the way that the Bible reads is that there can be a case made that the Jews were bloodthirsty and hungry for Jesus's death, and that in a stunning turn of events, Pontius Pilate released Barabbas to the crowd because they wanted to crucify Jesus. And Pontius Pilate basically said, well, I can't do anything about this. That simply is not true. There is, there is all kinds of historical data that tells us that Pontius Pilate did not have any problem uh, exterminating people. He was a cruel dictator and a cruel leader of this, of this area. 
and he worked on the behest of the Roman authorities, and he wanted to be proven to be a ruthless, cruel leader so that he could be rewarded inside the government. So we know the Romans were the ones who crucified Jesus, not the Jewish people. So there have been several times in history where, in particular, the Catholic Church has have made declarations to support this, to try to settle down this anti-Semitism that you're seeing worldwide. In 2011, Pope Benedict actually said, this needs to stop. And he said that the there was an aristocracy inside the Sanhedrin at the time that were that were intimidated by Jesus. And so it was a very select group of people who may have prompted Pontius Pilate to move forward, but it was not the entirety of Judaism. Also, there's a theory that it could have been people who were supportive of Barabbas. So they just wanted to get him out of jail, and they saw this as an opportunity. Let's get him out of jail. And oh, by the way, if that means killing this guy, that's not that's fine. Now we got him out of jail. But this this comes up to modern day. So there was a story that I read, and it'll be in the show notes as well, about a gentleman who was on a subway right after 9-11. And he was listening to two people have a conversation where the people were blaming the Jews for the towers being bombed, being attacked. And that proves to you how deep anti-Semitism, and that this goes on and on. You can, you can keep reading about this. It goes on and on, even up to modern time protests where you see people flying Nazi flags, where you see people talking about the deaths of Jews, where you ta- hear people talk about pure races and, and things like that. This is right here in America. So this kind of rhetoric comes from deep-seated, phobic hatred that has no place in Christianity. So when we consider Hanukkah and its part of moving its, its sacredness to the table of spirituality so that if somewhere in your religious path past you have been exposed to anti-Semitism, this might be this place where some deconstructing starts because like for many of us, we heard these things. So when we bring these things closer, it's our ability to say, hey, I'm seeing this through a filter of my prior belief system and I no longer want to see that. So the way I do it is to bring what I fear or what I detest or what I judge closer to me. So I can no longer, that can no longer have that control over me. So that's what this is about. This is your place to get away from your fear-based theology or your indoctrination into a prejudicial view about these other place about these other people. That's just not fair. So Hanukkah means dedication, and it, it, this is the name where it's it's celebrating the rededication of the Holy Temple. This is an eight-day celebration that's that's usually held in December. And it's a holy time to honor the miracle of reclaiming the holy temple and finding just enough oil to light the menorah for a day, but the candle burned for eight days. That's the miracle. So there's eight days of celebration, of feasting, and some beautiful tradition, tra- traditional foods and some the lighting of the menorah each night. But I read something from one of the resources that I, that I was reading about that said, a rabbi said, we must listen carefully to what the candles are saying. And I love that because right there, that's the invitation for an interfaith experience. 
That's an, inter- an invitation to understand that the candle's flame holds power for all of humanity because in all rituals, there's a place where a light shows up, a candle in some ways. We use them to celebrate birthdays. We use them to celebrate the gatherings when we're gathering to mourn the loss of someone. So the candle for us as in, in our humanity is we celebrate, we create, we, remo- we mourn, and we remember And that's exactly what Hanukkah does. So in this space, we can't go into a lot of it. And I'm very mindful that I am not Jewish and I don't want to try to pretend like I understand all of what's happening in these eight days. Maybe sometime I can invite somebody um, and come in and explain more of this to us. But the candle is the place where we can invite memories of our own life into our experience where we can light a candle and be reminded of our own miracles, of our own heartbreaks, offering no judgment of what arises. That's what's so important about what we are doing here when we're looking to invite the holy into our life, to open up our soul and connect to what is arriving for us to consider. You might get a memory of something from when you were just a child and not understand the significance. But once you sit with it, you understand, you remember something that maybe a grandfather said to you that has influenced you your entire life, but you just forgot. So sit with a candle, sit with the holy, and spend time. I've got several links here that can help you go deeper into Hanukkah. And if you know your if you have Jewish friends or relatives or colleagues, ask them about what the sacredness is here. I know that they'll share it with you so that you too can be inspired by this holiday. Now as I said last week I talked about um, Bodhi Day. Now this week this year it's going to fall in on January 2nd. Sometimes it falls in December. But once again, this is where Siddhartha Gautama sat underneath the Bodhi tree. And this tree, it has this, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to show a picture, but it has this massive trunk and this beautiful canopy of thin film-like, they're like leaves, they're just beautiful leaves. And it just invites you to come in and set for a while. So that's exactly what he did about 2,500 years ago. So you know, Buddhism is one of the old, oldest world, world religions. And he sat there and he fasted until he was enlightened. And he awoke and he understood. So we don't have to practice the path of Buddhism to not be to be inspired by this teaching of this of the Buddha. Because what this is inviting us to understand is where do we go? Where is our ritual? What is our practice when we need to seek answers to life? Where do we turn when we need to find consolation? For some of you, you might not be able to answer that quest, those questions. That's a hint. Because inside the, pa- the practice of Buddhism is a discipline that gives you strength and resources when life hits you square in the face. And so going back to what I was talking about earlier when we, uh, in one of my podcasts when we were talking about creating that strong spiritual foundation, that's the wisdom that's showing up here inside Buddhism because the question that you're invited to answer is how do you connect your soul to divine wisdom? What, when do you become so still that you are being in, invited to trust that something sacred and holy 
is there with you in the quiet? What does it feel like to be so quiet? It's only you and the divine. No matter what's screaming on the outside, you can stay in that moment. Going within. That is the gift of Bodhi Day. That is the wisdom inside Buddhism. Now often, what can happen here is that whatever you're seeking answers to, it doesn't necessarily come at that moment. Not, not, you might not be a lightning bolt or even divine wisdom or an aha moment. But yet, when we pause to connect to something greater than us, the load can become lighter, the path can become clearer, and those connections can become stronger. It just can't be explained, dear ones. You just know. Our spiritual communities, our connections, those connections are just the sacred paths to help us on our journey of our life, our life experiences. So this is our time to look at these experiences and figure out what needs to change. Where do we need to figure out new ways to exist? And that's the wisdom inside of Buddhism. There's also a complement to Buddhism to what I find when I start reading about Buddhism, especially about the Buddha. Psalm 4610, which says, be still and know. The entire verse says, be still and know that I am God. But be still and know. Just be still and know. It doesn't tell you what to know. It doesn't even tell you like why being still will help you know that God is. It just means that there's a peace that arrives and reminds you that you're connected to something sacred. Okay, shifting quickly to the last uh, religion that I want to talk about today is I talked last week that I was I have this um, unique and sacred connection to Zoroastrianism. And this is, occurs every December 26th. And this is the day that's set aside to honor the founder of Zoroastrianism, which is Zoroaster. This is considered the oldest monotheistic religion in the world. That means the worship of one God. It's considered to be a, uh, about 3,500 uh, years old, so it's really old. It's still active today, but worldwide there's only about 200,000 followers. Now, when you can, that may sound like a lot, except when you compare it to like Christianity, where there are billions worldwide. So what I love about Zoroastrianism is the fact that it has central ethical values of good words, good thoughts and good deeds and that those that that's prayed several times a day always facing the source of fire or light and i don't really understand a lot about that but they do use a um, the practitioner or the person who's praying these prayers will use a knotted cord something like a prayer necklace or a beads or something like that so you start to see praying several times a day using a, a knotted cord, you know, like a mala, or the prayers of several times a day like you see in Islam. So you you see that, or the good words, the good thoughts, and good deeds, that sounds a little bit like Buddhism. So you, you start to see the blending of how others' traditions come forth once they're given the light to be a part of our discussions about where we are today. 
So what happened here for me when I was called out of Christianity, I found myself in this proverbial wilderness. I had no idea what the next steps were going to be. But as I started to study world religions, I was attracted to Zoroastrianism. And here's the reason why. It was not known. It was very small. And I thought as much hurt and religious trauma that I was trying to process at the same time that I felt the call into ministry, I thought, you know what? That's the answer. I'm just going to be connected to a religion that nobody knows so nobody can talk to me about it that my foundational beliefs will be so foreign to them that they won't want to ask about it. And there, that's the problem solved. That's a cue to how deep my religious trauma was, that I was looking for an escape from something. I wanted to just deflect away from the hurt and move towards something that I had no idea how it was going to connect with me personally. Now, I'm not minimizing at all the sacredness and the power of Zoroastrianism at all. All I'm saying is my call to it was not valid. My reasons for looking at it had more to do with escape. And that's a that's a call that's something that for each of us when we're looking at are we really called or are we escaping or are we looking for something that really isn't of something that's going to serve our highest good. So after three years of study, I did go on to seminary where the first year was nothing but releasing all of that religious trauma all of the bitterness, all of the anger that I didn't even realize how many layers of it I had. And I always said that if you knew how much inner work that you had to do to prepare for a ministry, especially the kind that my my seminary created, I don't know that you I would have done it. It's like a you come in at it from, you think you're coming in for one thing, to study world religions and become an interfaith minister, but at the end, it's you who did all the inner work. And then you realize that you're connected to a higher purpose and you're accepting with the fact that it's okay that you don't know what's going to end up on the other side of this. So for me, even though I had really turned away from my Christian heritage during my studies and my seminary experience, all of that came home for me the day, with the hours before I was to be ordained. We had um, a whole afternoon of silent retreat. We could not talk to anybody. We needed to just go into silence to prepare ourselves for our ordination. And I sought a place out in a field by myself. And I, I had routinely had been using chants and mantras and different kinds of meditation music throughout my spiritual practice, but that just wasn't gonna feed my soul today. And there in my playlist was a list of songs from my Christian heritage that I hadn't seen. I, I hadn't even looked at the playlist for probably five years, but there, I, there it was. And I pressed play and the tears flowed and my heart burst, burst open and I cried for two solid hours. I listened to every song on that playlist and I remember, remember very poignantly that I had fallen back in love with Jesus. That Jesus that I thought I had lost when I left church had actually returned to me with a new experience and a new understanding. So although this time with Zoroastrianism doesn't give you much about more about this faith, I will include a show note, the, the show notes, some more information about it so you can go read about it. I wanted to include what world religions can do for you. They can, they can be a bookmark for places in your life that help you on your path to where you are going. If you are open to receiving the wisdom and understanding that it's all fluid, 
You don't have all the answers where you are right now, no matter what your faith is. If you're living in in black and white and duality where I'm wrong and you're the only one who's right, my dear friend, you have so much more to learn. And I am so sorry that your faith has convinced you that that's where you stop. So why all this in December? Because this is where it belongs, my dear ones. This is a reminder that we don't have all the answers. For years, I was told that I had a doubter's mind, that I had a spirit of offense. And now I understand that none of that was true. Did I have a doubter's mind? I absolutely did not. I had a seeker's heart. So Zoroastrianism played a role in that, as did Buddhism, as has Judaism, Islam, all the world religions, and the spiritual traditions that sit outside those world religions. And blessed be and amen. Okay, now we are squarely into December, but there is still time for you to sign up for one of my spiritual resets for 2021. If you go to my website at RevCarla.com, this is the place where you can see what the available times are. And I encourage you, it's a free 30-minute webinar where I will be in there with you answering questions and help you with understanding how important it is to increase our resources, our platform, and our spiritual muscle just as we prepare our physical bodies to get ready for 2021. You can also find information about my book there, The Holy in the Everyday, 365 Days for Spiritual Transformation and Vitality. This is going to be a wonderful daily devotional where you will have opportunity to engage with me on many different levels. So head over to revcarla.com to find that information there. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray you received something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now go in peace and be at peace and go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I'll see you soon. If you like what you heard today, be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. To have your question featured on an episode, email us at spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. The Spiritual Reset 2021 masterclasses are filling up quick, so head over to revcarla.com to reserve your seat. As always, follow at revcarla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. We'll be posting more exciting news later this week that you won't want to miss. Bye for now.